Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to the Federal Executive Forum, celebrating 17 years of profiling excellence in government IT mission programs. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders with their secure cloud computing strategies and solutions. With me on today's show are Michael Mestrovich, Acting Chief Information Security Officer, Central Intelligence Agency. Dr. Ed Mays, Deputy Assistant Commissioner, Infrastructure Support Services, U.S. Customs Border and Protection. Brian Conrad, Acting Director, FedRAMP Secure Cloud Division at the Technology Transformation Services, GSA. Nicholas Spies, Chief Federal Technologist, Snowflake. John Morello, Vice President, Cloud Protection, Palo Alto Networks. And Chris Roberts, Federal Technology Director, Quest Software Public Sector. We're talking secure cloud computing and who better to start us off than Mike. We had uh, C2S and we have C2E. Give us the state of the state. A lot of moving parts over there. Big job for a Chief Information Security Officer. Sure, thanks. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So, I mean, obviously, Luke, as you know, uh, had a long history with, with cloud computing at the agency, specifically primarily focused on Amazon and infrastructure services. And, and we made great progress um, in transition to cloud in, in that space. C2E opens up the aperture much greater, uh, multi-cloud multi providers uh, offering everything from infrastructure services all the way through uh, up, to, up to software services. Um, and so it's, it's a much broader, expansive uh, cloud opportunity for, for us and our partners within the community. Um, as I noted previously, a lot of focus was on your primary infrastructure services, you know, compute, storage, those types of things. Uh, but we're really now moving up the stack. And so we're, we're working with software solution providers for software as a service. We can talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but, you know, right out of the gate, uh, some of the, the big challenges that we're working through is, you know, hosted desktop services, taking advantage of things like Office 365 to provision, uh, you know, desktop automation services, email, office automation suites, so on and so forth. Um, and then to also utilize some of the native cloud service offerings, such as, you know, digital rights management and, and data loss prote protection services that are embedded within those cloud offerings. Um, I think there's a lot of great potential uh, with all of those different offerings. I think the, the challenge for us going forward, I know we'll get into this a little bit later, is understanding the telemetry from a multi-cloud environment, being able to make sense of that so that we have a comprehensive cybersecurity and operations view into that multi-cloud environment. Uh, but we're really excited about the opportunity. I think we've got a lot of great service providers and great partners in this space. Um, and, and so we're, we're anxious to take this to the next level. A lot of capacity in the stable there. And, and just to clarify, C2E available to the entire IC, correct? That's correct, yes, sir. Fantastic. Dr. Ed Mays, a lot of activity going on over at CBP. You all have been on a cloud journey, continue to go on a cloud journey. Tell us what's happening. Give us a state of the state. Well, I, I think the big thing for us right now is that is zero trust, right? Um, identity and access management being one of the, the key pillars role-based access, we're pushing really hard, you know, using tools like Okta and Zscaler. Um, and we're also looking at, at uh, a multi-account architecture, which allows us to segment our, our accounts. You know, so if we have a, a cyber issue, we can actually limit the blast radius. So, you know, we've been doing a lot of work there. Big push will be for the future, getting out a, a vehicle, a contract that will allow us to support um, our cloud growth 
because you know the, the the thing that we're doing is we, we plan on being out at the data center hopefully 2025 2026 we're not giving up on that so uh, that's really big for us um, the other thing is I think that you know, we are looking at a cloud services brokerage. We've got a cloud center of excellence. Mm. And, you know, to be able to manage all the services for cloud, providing business case analysis, you know, architecture, uh, all those kinds of things to our customer base. So we're going to go from, uh, I think, uh, minimal services to what I'll call a full service organization where our app developers who just come in a la carte and choose what they want. Uh, but you know, under governance and with an organization that can help them, you know, get the best for their dollar, right? Uh, we've gone through this a lot and, you know, there's lots of services in places like Amazon, but you've got to really be smart about how you use those services. So that's going to be our big focus. Right. And put some structure in place, a la carte ordering and some guardrails around it. I'm sure there's a lot of lessons learned you can pull from, from Mike and crew out of the IC. Brian, you all have been on a tear over there. It seems like there's a hockey puck of activity happening uh, which is awesome. The community loves it. Tell us about where you are with the FedRAMP capabilities. Absolutely. Thank you for having me today. Um, so FedRAMP continues to play that critical role, that nexus between agencies who are moving to the cloud and the cloud service providers who are innovating with this great technology. And, um, you know, since FedRAMP's establishment 10 years ago, the program has, as you mentioned, has seen steady growth. Um, and it's through this partnership with agencies and cloud service providers that we've been able to authorize over 250 cloud services um, available in the FedRAMP marketplace. And, and those 250 cloud services have been reused over 3,800 times to date. And so as demand grows, you know, the program, my challenge is the program's got to scale. Um, because as you mentioned, it's not slowing down. It's uh, things are moving uh, faster. There's a, a rush to the cloud. And again, the critical role that FedRAMP plays is to ensure that the, that the agencies have secure cloud services to use. And so um, we have some really exciting things going on, uh, some plans for automation um, of not only how we handle packages, but our internal business processes. You know, um, we're going to continue to uh, grow the marketplace to make sure the agencies have uh, secure cloud services to use and and also keep up with our communication and our stakeholder outreach. Yeah, you know, uh, being an early JAB member uh, was tough sledding in the beginning there. And it's, it's, it's great to see you go from 24 months to 12 months to six months. And maybe I'll try to pin you down on um, where the goal is there as far as uh, we're going to see, uh, you know, FedRAMP capability in a month or six weeks. Uh, I won't hold you to that. Let me get Nicholas on here. You know, it's interesting when I think about uh, Amazon, you know, Amazon doesn't happen unless there's a, a, an entire infrastructure of internet uh, capability out there just sort of dropped on top of it, enabled a new business. I sort of see Snowflake with the same thing, right? They kind of came in, assumed cloud, here we go. Tell us what's happening with Snowflake, Nicholas. Yeah, thanks very much, Luke. Uh, great to see you as always, and hello, uh, panelists and folks at home. Um, you know, it, I like Mike's comment, so I'm going to bring it back again. We're, we're moving up the stack, and I'm happy to say in cloud, there finally is a stack. It's not just somebody else's computer running a bunch of VMs for you. Bingo. Um, you know, we, we have software as a service offerings now. We have these very vast cloud computing resources that we can call on, and it enables products like Snowflake to be built and brought to market to enable high-level services, better data flow, better data-driven decisions. Um, and better data coordination and collaboration, which every time I get on this show, Luke, I talk about nonstop. So 
um, if you're playing bingo at home, that's the first uh, that's the first word. But it's it really is critical to the success of every agency uh, and the government in general being able to collaborate on data, being able to leverage massive cloud computing resources. Without that, we couldn't do any of the artificial intelligence or machine learning workloads that every government agency is starting to dial into now. So it's a very exciting time to be in cloud computing. Right, and you know, just the, the ability for uh, an organization like yours to take advantage of this capability and make it available to the decision makers is fantastic. John, uh, we can't do any of this unless we secure it, we enable it. Enter Palo Alto, tell us what's happening. I mean, a lot of the themes that, that have been brought up already um, are really what guides our view of doing cloud security, most notably the, the necessity of doing it in a heterogeneous manner. So it's not tied to just a single cloud provider. Uh, you know, I think Brian was mentioning that, that, you know, they're seeing more agencies and more organizations that are adopting multiple different clouds. So just as you want to have FedRAMP and all the places that you're going, you need to have security tooling that gives you that visibility across all those physical locations and physical providers that offer these services. And then in Oakless's point, you know, as that cloud stack progresses up from just being infrastructure as service, you also need to have those capabilities throughout the application stack. So not just looking at the configuration of the virtual machine, but looking at everything from like the S3 buckets that surround it and load balancers that are there and looking at it throughout the entire life cycle, not just the asset after it's been deployed, but how do you, you know, as the term often you shift left and look at those things prior to deployment. When that asset just exists as a code artifact as, you know, like a Terraform, uh, template or a cloud formation template prior to being actually created in the cloud provider. And so our view really is to give you that, that breadth of capabilities across all the different clouds that you use up and down the stack of technologies and throughout the life cycle of those applications. Right. You know, it, it is a, uh, it's a, an enabling capability with multi-cloud, et cetera, very complex capability as well, big attack surface, et cetera. Um, uh, you need a lot of tools and technology to pull this all together. Chris, enter Quest public software or public sector software. Um, tell us how, uh, how you're snapping into all this and enabling this fantastic capability to happen. And sure, one of the beautiful things about cloud is that it gives us capabilities that normally in the legacy fashion were very difficult to pull off. So now we can do things at scale at the push of a button. That's good and bad, both from a service delivery, but also a consumption and cost model. But honestly, that at scale is very important. Um, we looked at it two ways. And that is first, there's getting there uh, and then staying there. Um, getting there is the lift. Um, we used to call it lift and shift, replatform. But honestly, once we got there, we realized that we can now do things at scale from a data perspective. So at Quest, for instance, we made a lot of investments around governance. So Zero Trust addressed a lot of security issues we had, both on-prem, moving into the cloud, identity management, those are the building blocks. But then we started looking, well, how are you actually gonna do governance, not just from identity, but also for data? We've now moved data sets that were usually enclosed, very well formatted, understood databases on-prem into the cloud. We've seen what can happen when you don't secure a bucket properly, for instance. We've seen what can happen when the right privilege or the wrong privilege is assigned to an end user who shouldn't have access to specific data points, for instance. So think of all the internal data that really is significant for a citizen, for an agency, um, and how that data can be misused. So governance is critical for us. So part of governance is not just the identity, but it's the identification of that data. What does a data pipeline look like, for instance? Which applications should be able to access that data? Do the service principles being used by that application to pull in and push data across that pipeline, do they have the right privilege? 
So we focus on a governance, both on the identity side, as well as the data side. And we do a lot of blocking tackling under, under the surface, or like the duck in the water, so to speak. But the important thing I think for agencies, for everyone in this conversation this morning, or listening to this, is that if you haven't considered the governance equation as you're moving to the crowd, cloud, you're asking for issues. And all you have to do is quick, do a quick Google search on unsecured data in the cloud or buckets, and you'll be surprised what you actually find. So we've made tremendous investments there, and we continually work with our partners in the federal space to actually get them more secure. Governor's very key and uh, sort of that push button service. Uh, interesting, very inviting, but uh, you know, then the bill comes. Uh, Ed, you talked about this a little bit. I'm gonna come back up to you to give us an, a specific example of you all are on this journey. Uh, you've gotten a lot of lessons learned in the, uh, internally. You're also hearing from various agencies about uh, how you're gonna roll forward. You mentioned zero trust as well. Give us an example of a specific program you'd like to highlight. Well, one of the key things I'll tell you, first of all, just want to say for, for Chris Roberts, you know, we just pushed out our data strategy for the cloud. And um, you're absolutely right. It's imperative that we understand our data and that we secure our data. So we're, we're focused on that as well. Um, one of the big programs that, that we've got that I think is really important um, is non-person entity uh, comps, right? Either machine to machine or machine to software communications. Uh, that's big for us um, because, you know, you really want to make sure that those machines actually can authenticate, verify that it's an actual, you know, organizational entity that it's communicating with. That's been pretty important to us. Um, and it's, it's really, uh, I, I think, grown across not only just CBP, but also in DHS. It's, it's a big program. And I think it's really um, providing a lot of return on investment. You know, I don't have to guess anymore. I know when, you know, what those certificates are, who they belong to, uh, when they expire. And if something weird is happening, that's unauthorized. So uh, non-person entity uh, uh, certificates are pretty important to us. And also, I'm not sure how many of you have experienced, you know, certificates uh, expiring, but that's just one of those, that can just ruin your day, especially if you've got a mission critical environment. Um, so actually having, you know, machine learning tell you what's happening in your environment and preventing all those things from occurring is, uh, is, is a game changer for us. So NPE, and we are using, uh, I think, Venify for that. And it's, it's, been, it's been huge. Um, when, I was, when I first came to CBP, probably circa 2016, 2017, we had outages, I would say, weekly because of this, because it, it was just so voluminous, right? Uh, over 100,000 endpoints, um, plus network, plus, plus, plus. And, you know, this has made our lives a lot better and a lot more controlled and secure. Right. And, uh, and obviously operating machine to machine. So it's uh, real time and uh, a lot of cargo coming across the border, a lot of passengers coming into the country, automobiles, et cetera. Uh, you all are definitely working in real time. John, how about at Palo Alto Networks? You know, you have, you're in a unique situation where you're obviously striped across the entire federal sector, state and local, but the private sector as well. Give us an example of a program you'd like to highlight. Well, I mean, we, we've been proud to be part of a lot of different uh, programs across the federal government. Um, even prior to the time that we sold our company, Twistlock, uh, to Palo Alto Networks, um, you know, I, I think that one of the most important things that uh, you can do as a security vendor is to really try to improve the overall level of knowledge and awareness across the community, not just purely from a selling standpoint, but really to, to genuinely contribute back in a meaningful way. Um, one of the things that I'm most proud of is the work that we did around NIST SP-800-190, which is the Container Security Guide, which ended up becoming the 
you know, the, the authoritative guidance on um, container security, which is, you know, containers are really driving a lot of this new innovation that Nicholas and others have mentioned that, that you know, really sits on top of that, that infrastructure service that's been there for a while. Um, you know, we're also very proud to have been part of, uh, of a number of, of projects across all sectors in the federal government space. Uh, we have well over 100 federal agencies and organizations that are customers across the intelligence community, Department of Defense, civilian, um, you know, and, and that's something I'm very proud of. And in fact, and we can reference this publicly because they've spoken about it, um, you know, we're even part of the, the F-35 program and part of the critical supply mm -hmm. chain elements there that, that utilize cloud technologies uh, to ensure that aircraft can be serviced and, um, you know, be put to use globally and to be able to keep that supply chain, which is very complex and sources many different, you know, really high-end components Keep that supply chain running regardless of the deployment location so you know for us we see that that contribution in terms of knowledge as being really important but also just being really proud to support the you know the various federal customers that you know that have trusted us to to help them secure their cloud environments uh fantastic and a very important part of this ecosystem mike we jumped right in with c2e c2s uh didn't really explain or uh you know what what is that so the audience knows exactly what that is and then uh, give us an example of a, a program you'd like to highlight. Sure, uh, th thanks Luke. Uh, so C2S obviously was uh, the first foray by the community into cloud computing. And that was specifically uh, a, a contract vehicle with Amazon to provide uh, infrastructure compute uh, and storage services to the community. And so that's that was C2S. C2E built on that, has built on that foundation. And C2E is a multi-cloud environment um, with, with multi, multiple players to include Google, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, uh, Oracle, uh, IBM as well. Um, and so now you have a multi-cloud environment coming in. Uh, obviously the benefit of that to the consumer is that there are various different service offerings that can be layered on any one or all of those various different cloud service providers. And you obviously as a consumer can then pick and choose which cloud service provider and their associated third party uh, solution providers maybe best fits uh, your specific mission needs. So it gives a much broader aperture to the consumers uh, to pick cloud hosting services and their and their ecosystems of service providers that can best suit uh, their particular mission. Um, you know, I'm going to kind of switch gears on you because I think it's it's worth highlighting it. And since I was there, I think I can. Uh, uh, claim a little bit of credit for, for, for this activity. But when I was down at the State Department and COVID hit, let, let me back up. I think a lot of the advantages of cloud um, were, in, were obviously highlighted by that traditional storage and compute that any organization had online 365 days out of the year that was only used at a specific period. And so the classic case that's cited in the, in the government workforce, right, is it's eval season and everybody's hitting, hitting the servers to do their performance evaluations. And that's kind of, you know, the September time frame, but historically you would have that compute and storage online the other, the other 11 months and it wasn't really being used. Obviously cloud changed that paradigm. We were able to spin up cloud services to fully support those types of seasonal activities. Um, and, and that reduced obviously the total operating costs and, and allowed cloud services to expand out as the mission needs dictated. So that was that was some years ago. And I think we're, we're well-founded in that. But uh, when I was at the State Department and COVID kicked off, um, we needed to do a whole series of application developments to support, you know, repatriating Americans that were stranded overseas, uh, uh, getting aircraft to get those individuals, uh, getting, getting vaccines out to various different embassies and posts. And the applications to track all of that and do all that 
categorically didn't exist. And it was only through cloud services and cloud solution providers and specifically software as a service application providers that we were able to iterate and deliver you know, a, a series of, you know, over to, over a dozen application services uh, within this one span of like six or eight weeks and then continuously iterate, iterate on those in kind of a, in a DevOps agile environment. Um, I think that's, as we look to cloud next gen and C2E, that's the next promise, right? Is be, beyond the infrastructure services of scaling out for compute and storage and getting into rapid application development uh, that, that really supports the, the pace of the, of the mission and getting into an agile development cycle that allows us to continuously iterate on solutions, put those solutions in front of consumers, have them continuously provide uh, updated requirements back to the application team and continuously develop those in a rapid cycle. I think that's the, that, that's the next step for us. And I think that holds tremendous advantage really moving up the, uh, the value chain. So I really do appreciate that. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. According to the latest research from Palo Alto Networks on software supply chain risks, 63% of third-party code used in building cloud infrastructure contained insecure configurations. Federal agencies are challenged by a lack of visibility to cloud resources, compliance with cybersecurity best practices, and a federal IT talent shortage. Join us as John Morello from Palo Alto Networks talks to federal leaders about strategies and best practices to accelerate application modernization and secure cloud resources. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. With remote work becoming more widespread, traditional practices for protecting identity have proven inadequate. The time is right for government agencies to explore zero trust. Zero trust assumes that traffic inside the network is as likely to be as malicious as traffic outside the network. To protect your network and data, you need advanced automated tools that adhere to the principles of zero trust. Quest Public Sector has the end-to-end solutions you need to implement zero trust in your agency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about secure cloud computing, and we were just talking about specific programs. I'm going to throw it over to you, Nicholas. Give us an example. You gave us a, a great state of state. Tell us about a specific program you'd like to highlight. Yeah, Luke, thanks. I think um, you know, there's, a, there's always a theme when we talk about a, a special program or, a, or a, a special aspect of cloud computing or whatever topic we're talking about. There's always a theme that comes up. And in this one with cloud computing, I think the theme that's slightly bubbling to the surface here would be quantity. Lots and lots and lots of data that we now have the ability because of cloud computing to, to calculate against and to act against in a cost-efficient and effective way. We didn't used to have that on-prem going through hundreds of millions of rows, as it was mentioned by, uh, by Dr. Mays and by Michael, it's, it was very difficult to get, to spool up on-prem resources just for a big compute action and calm those things down when you were done. And one of the places that, that Snowflake has had a huge impact in our, our relatively brief time in public sector is fraud, waste, and abuse programs. 
Um, this is a lot of data from a lot of different sources coming together in a single place and being worked on and looked at as, you know, it, looking at human behavior is extremely difficult to predict and extremely difficult to categorize. Um, it's why cybersecurity attacks have been so successful for so long. It's very difficult to get ahead of everything a person might do. And so bringing more data, as much data as we can to bear to that problem and look at behavioral analytics and kind of churn through this data and look for things that, that are wrong. For example, it's very easy to say that somebody didn't have a hip replacement in California and Florida in the same day, right? You're either the most unlucky person on the planet or that was a fraudulent transaction. That's very easy for a lot of data and a lot of compute to pick out. What's even more difficult though, are teams of people working together to defraud certain programs of the government. That takes a lot more data from a lot more sources and a lot more observations to really detect the patterns that tell us that fraud, waste, and abuse is occurring. So I think, you know, there's a lot of, we could go on and on and on. Somebody mentioned COVID, there's health research, there's all these great programs that are coming out there that Snowflake has very happily been a part of. But uh, I think the one right now that, that kind of strikes a chord with cloud computing for me is fraud, waste, and abuse. Very important area and uh, a lot of opportunity there, no question about that. Brian, uh, you brought up a lot of interesting facts and figures there, and uh, just want to ask you to, to, to perhaps highlight one activity. You've got a lot of different activities going on there, the automation activity, you got Rev5, who knows when Rev6 is coming. Tell us about a specific program you'd like to highlight. Yeah, we're, uh, I'm really excited about the uh, automation efforts that we've undertaken. Um, you know, the, the, the work that FedRAMP has done with, OSC, uh, with NIST to develop OSCAL, <clears throat> Excuse me. And if I could, OSCAL is what? The Open Security Controls Assessment Language. Okay. I'll have to validate to see if I have that right. Um, a lot of acronyms running around up here. Sure, sure. Um, but what this will enable to do, the, the implementation of this will enable agencies and cloud service providers to automate their packages. Um, you know, SSPs are upwards of 800 pages. Uh, 800 page Word document gets very uh, unwieldy. And so um, being able to automate the package handling, the doing validations of the package prior to, uh, to it coming to an assessor in the government, um, huge, huge valuable things, not just for the agencies, but for the cloud service providers as well. You know, all, all in service of creating velocity, all in service of uh, creating better quality packages. In, in addition, uh, FedRAMP also uh, published a threat scoring methodology uh, for controls against the MITRE ATT&CK framework. And where this is important is, is the scoring methodology takes the controls, scores them against the MITRE ATT&CK framework on how well, how well they detect, protect, and respond to incidents. And so what we've been able to do with the REV5, uh, the NIST 853 REV5 controls, is NIST published their baselines. And typically, the Joint Authorization Board adds controls on top of the published baselines um, to, make, uh, to make the baselines more, the NIST baselines more applicable to cloud. And so what we've done uh, in our draft REV5 baselines is taken that threat threat-based methodology against those additional controls that are typically added um, to see how well they, you know, how well they actually do their job in, in uh, supporting cybersecurity. And, and what we've done in, in our draft baselines, we've actually been able to reduce the number of controls in the, in the FedRAMP high and moderate baselines, um, which translates into a significant you know, value for not just the cloud service providers, but for the agencies as well. Uh, all of our modernization efforts, even, even looking at the, what I call the back end, the flip side of the coin, our internal business processes. Um, 
mm-hmm. we're working on business processes that are that are 10 years old. And uh, and so we have the opportunity to use uh, automation to reevaluate our business processes to make sure that we're being more transparent. So cloud service providers can understand where their package is in the process mm-hmm. um, to, for under, for agencies to understand um, where things are, how things are going, et cetera, and so forth. Again, it's all in service of helping the agencies and the cloud service providers get married up and have those secure cloud services uh, available. And undoubtedly reduce cycle time, which is awesome. That sounds fantastic. Chris, how about at uh, Quest? Uh, can you give us a specific example of a program you'd like to highlight? Yeah, first, um, shout out to Brian for reducing the number of controls that we have to respond to in our yeah, like the they, they, they're, they're draft baselines, Chris. Public <laughs> well, comments you, know you, you have to start somewhere, sir. You start somewhere. Uh, so, when we look at our agency partners, um, they're our favorites. Um, anyway, anyone that's in service or out of service. So those in active duty, for instance, as well as our veterans. So a lot of the programs we've worked on, and Brian, I appreciate your comments around, around legacy 10-year-old processes, because we work with agencies that have 20, sometimes 30-year-old processes. Mm-hmm. And they came to us, and they're trying to modernize. But at the same time, you're modernizing, you want to pull off that trick of helping an end user see that, hey, nothing's really changed. We've changed everything under the surface, but for you, nothing's really changed. To do that, that means they, the processes they've been using, whether it's identification, um, authentication, those things kind of have to remain the same. So we worked with um, DOD partners, for instance, to one, bring in that legacy infrastructure that they've built on usually Microsoft technologies, for instance, but then helping them spread that technology across the cloud, whether it is Microsoft-based, Azure-based, for instance, or AWS, um, and helping them one integrate those identity principles across multiple control planes, or we call it multi-cloud, or as Mike called it, C2E. For them, that is critical, because when you have someone on the front line, or even someone who's come back from the front line, for instance, that is a complexity they don't need, for instance. So making sure those identities work across those different control planes without having to give them multiple identities, for instance, is critical. I, as an end user, know for one, when I, when I come in in the morning, I expect to be able to use every application with this persona. I don't want to have to, if you used an iPhone that required four faces to open, you'd break it against the wall. So helping them both in-service and out-of-service veterans, for instance, and active duty, for instance, be able to use applications in the same way they use have used them, I would say, for the last 20 years may sound trivial, but from an end user satisfaction and mission deployability capability standpoint, that's critical to infrastructure. So working with identity across those planes for us is a critical mission. And that's not just in DOD, that's across the entire federal government. As Brian said, there's so many aging systems but you have end users that will still expect those systems to perform as advertised or have the same SLAs. And I think we provide a great set of solutions to help an agency one identify to migrate, consolidate and secure those identities across multiple control planes as we move to the cloud. Identity management is such an important part of the, uh, you know, the attack vector issue and uh, an important and uh, instrumental element in the zero trust architecture as well. Michael, we're going to go up and talk about uh, priorities. I'd like to get you to highlight your priorities, two or three priorities for the uh, for this year in 2022. What do you all focus on right now? So I think uh, 
most of the federal government, as you're probably well aware, is uh, in the midst of <clears throat> uh, responding to and planning to implement much of the president's executive order on enhancing cybersecurity. And we're no different in that regard. There's a national mm -hmm. security memorandum that, that talks about how to enhance cybersecurity across the board. A portion of that national security memorandum talks about, you know, migrations to cloud, but then there's other components, multi-factor authentication, uh, standardizing, auditing and logging capabilities and those were in the retention requirements across the board. Uh, zero trust obviously is a key tenant of, of, the, of that national security memorandum and the, ex and the executive order, securing software supply chain and, and, and the list goes on and on. So the vast majority of our efforts are gonna be focused on implementation of the, the precepts that are identified in that national security memorandum. Now, beyond just that, I will tell you that, uh, and it's been mentioned here, I think a little bit in the past is as we move into this multi-cloud ecosystem, what's important for us, not only for a cybersecurity perspective, but from an operations perspective is getting the telemetry off of the cloud service providers um, that is in the native format from those cloud service providers, but being able to then uh, normalize that so that we have a standard single view of operational and performance issues as they're occurring in our multi-cloud ecosystem. And in the same vein, we're, we're pulling off of that cybersecurity relevant uh, information amongst those cloud service providers. So we wanna be able to obviously understand performance characteristics as we have workloads running in one particular cloud service. What are the differences if we move that workload to a different cloud service provider? Uh, and then how do we, and, and this was something that Chris mentioned, right? Uh, how do we track security relevant uh, audit and log information, identity access, uh, identity credential management, uh, PKI certifications across various different cloud service providers so that we're seeing a comprehensive picture. We, uh, you know, fraud detection was one of the things that, that was, was mentioned, I think, by Chris, but equally important to us from a cybersecurity perspective is understanding how identity and access and, and, and application and data access controls in one cloud service provider are accurately reflected in the other cloud service provider. So if you're making an application cloud data access decision in one cloud service provider, are, is the same individual or the same entity trying to make other access calls in other cloud service providers? And, and should that be normal as based on the application and how it's architected and where its data flows are, or should that be flagged as abnormal? Um, those are the types of things that I think we need to spend more time on over the course of this year, which we'll be doing uh, to gain better insights into a comprehensive cybersecurity view across all the cloud service providers as they're operating in real time. You really raised some good points there. You know, hijacking identity in these cloud, uh, these collateral systems is where the fun starts, right? And where, to, where, uh, where uh, we have some of our, our biggest exposures uh, based on that methodology. John, how about at Palo Alto Networks? Um, top focus for you all this year? Yeah, I mean, I think our, our primary focus in terms of how we're helping customers is to, to go back to that principle that I talked about the, the, the last time I spoke about really taking the, the notion of security and moving it uh, left in that, that time horizon. Uh, you know, we see that they're really the best way to improve your security outcomes is to prevent problems from being created in the first place. I mean, that seems very obvious to everyone. Uh, and yet it's something that, that people have historically really struggled with because the tools, the ecosystem, not just the security tools, but the overall ecosystem around cloud Historically, you know, a lot of times people were, were really thinking of it just as a data center that happened to be in a different place. You know, they were still creating things manually. They were still manually managing those assets. 
But as you've seen the technology mature within the ecosystem and there being a greater level of, of adoption and, and knowledge of, of concepts like GitOps and you know, really trying to describe everything that you were deploying and using as some kind of code artifact, you really now have this awesome security opportunity to really improve your outcomes by being able to provide automation to go and check for those problems before those assets are ever deployed. So we have a whole set of technologies that help customers do that. But you know, when I talk to, to agencies and, and even outside the federal space, just across all customers, you know, people ask what's the most important thing they can do around cloud security. To, to me, the, the thing that's gonna to create the greatest outcome, the greatest positive outcome for you is to begin inspecting those assets, be them container images, be them serverless functions, or be them infrastructure as code templates as early in the life cycle as possible. When they're just sitting on a, on a GitLab server or a, a file share or wherever it may be, looking at those things, finding problems in them, taking action on them before those problems are ever created. Right, uh, again, as we open up this aperture of all these different types of capability, we certainly open up this attack surface as well. Ed, you talked about a lot of different things that, uh, that you all are focused on. What are your top priorities for, the, for this year, for, uh, for 2022, as you, uh, as you go on this cloud migration journey? Well, definitely a couple of things. You know, we've already talked a little bit about zero trust. So that's, mm -hmm. that's top of the top. Um, but we're also still focusing on automation, right? We've, we've done a lot of automation presently, but we really want to get to standardized automation and getting some new tools in there and, and having one approach across our enterprise. And that's pretty, that's pretty important to us. Um, and the other thing is uh, customer experience and customer experience from the perspective of you know, we've got our CI/CD pipelines. We, we, you know, those are standardized. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that that we saw this year with operations, you know, uh, allies refuge and allies welcome, which was moving the people from Afghanistan, that you know we were interacting, you know, with multiple agencies, whether it was Department of State, USCIS, US Army, um, and this was one of those things about you know you don't really know how it, how the other people perceive what you're you're sharing with them. Right or the tools that you're sharing with them. So customer experience became pretty important to us to make sure that not only can we deliver, you know, code that was doing what it was supposed to do, but also making sure that it was easy to use um, and, and a quick, you know, so that you have to go through a high learning curve. And that was pretty important to us. And it, and it really paid dividends um, in terms of what we did with Operations Allies Welcome and Allies Refuge. Uh, tremendous focus and, a, and a, a, a brilliant response to that. So I applaud all the agencies involved in that. Nicholas, top priority for Snowflake this year? Uh, well, you know, it, look, looking at this year, it's it's going back to some of the foundation of what Snowflake became popular for. Um, one of the few platforms, in fact, the only data platform today that runs across clouds. And that's important because the goal I have for this year is to get more agencies to talk to each other and collaborate on data uh, using the Snowflake platform. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Mace just talked about how he would collaborate with USCIS and with the U.S. Army. How can we really do that unless we have a shared platform or a shared experience or a, a well-designed enterprise that enables that kind of collaboration? If you hear our CEO talk or you go to our website, you'll hear about the data cloud over and over and over again. And what the data cloud really is, is the next level, the next evolution of the Snowflake platform that allows folks to to collaborate and, and trade data sets uh, similar to how you might trade playing cards. Uh, data sets for Snowflake are like apps on your app store, but instead of Angry Birds, you're getting housing prices or uh, you know, the latest data set from NOAA on weather. 
Um, every government agency has a specific mission. That's what they were designed to do, and that's awesome. But no agency has a sole purpose. They all work together to accomplish what they're going to work together. Michael's agency works constantly with FBI or the Department of Homeland Security. These kinds of collaborations keep us safe, keep us healthy, keep us financially secure in this country. And so we have to, we have to keep pushing that collaboration and helping agencies work together stronger and better. Uh, that's my uh, top priority for this year is to introduce the data cloud for government uh, using the Snowflake platform. You raise a good point about every agency has a specific mission, no question about that, but they also have a, uh, they're sort of striped across a, a user experience, which is what I think Ed was bringing up there. Important to focus on that, uh, that user experience. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. With remote work becoming more widespread, traditional practices for protecting identity have proven inadequate. The time is right for government agencies to explore zero trust. Zero trust assumes that traffic inside the network is as likely to be as malicious as traffic outside the network. To protect your network and data, you need advanced automated tools that adhere to the principles of zero trust. Quest Public Sector has the end-to-end solutions you need to implement zero trust in your agency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. According to the latest research from Palo Alto Networks on software supply chain risks, 63% of third-party code used in building cloud infrastructure contained insecure configurations. Federal agencies are challenged by a lack of visibility to cloud resources, compliance with cybersecurity best practices, and a federal IT talent shortage. Join us as John Morello from Palo Alto Networks talks to federal leaders about strategies and best practices to accelerate application modernization and secure cloud resources. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about secure cloud computing, and we were just talking about specific programs. I'm going to throw it over to you, Nicholas. Give us an example. You gave us a, a great state of the state. Tell us about a specific program you'd like to highlight. Yeah, Luke, thanks. I think... Um... You know, there's, a, there's always a theme when we talk about a, a special program or, a, or a, a special aspect of cloud computing or whatever topic we're talking about. There's always a theme that comes up. And in this one with cloud computing, I think the theme that's slightly bubbling to the surface here would be quantity. Lots and lots and lots of data that we now have the ability because of cloud computing to, to calculate against and to act against in a cost-efficient and effective way. We didn't used to have that. On-prem, going through hundreds of millions of rows, as it was mentioned by, uh, by Dr. Mays and by Michael, it's, it was very difficult to get to spool up on-prem resources just for a big compute action and calm those things down when you were done. And one of the places that, that Snowflake has had a huge impact in our, our relatively brief time in public sector is fraud, waste, and abuse programs. Um, this is a lot of data from a lot of different sources coming together in a single place and being worked on and looked at as you know, it, looking at human behavior is extremely difficult to predict and extremely difficult to categorize. Um, 
it's why cybersecurity attacks have been so successful for so long. It's very difficult to get ahead of everything a person might do. And so bringing more data, as much data as we can to bear to that problem and look at behavioral analytics and kind of churn through this data and look for things that, that are wrong. For example, it's very easy to say that somebody didn't have a hip replacement in California and Florida in the same day, right? You're either the most unlucky person on the planet or that was a fraudulent transaction. That's very easy for a lot of data and a lot of compute to pick out. What's even more difficult though, are teams of people working together to defraud certain programs of the government. That takes a lot more data from a lot more sources and a lot more observations to really detect the patterns that tell us that fraud, waste, and abuse is occurring. So I think, you know, there's a lot of, we could go on and on and on. Somebody mentioned COVID, there's health research, there's all these great programs that are coming out there that Snowflake has very happily been a part of. But I think the one right now that, that kind of strikes a chord with cloud computing for me is fraud, waste, and abuse. Very important area and uh, a lot of opportunity there, no question about that. Brian, uh, you brought up a lot of interesting facts and figures there, and uh, just want to ask you to, to, to perhaps highlight one activity. You've got a lot of different activities going on there, the automation activity, you got Rev 5, who knows when Rev 6 is coming. Tell us about a specific program you'd like to highlight. Yeah, we're, uh, I'm really excited about the uh, automation efforts that we've undertaken. Um, you know, the, the, the work that FedRAMP has done with, OSC, uh, with NIST to develop OSCAL, <clears throat> Excuse me. And if I could, OSCAL is what? The Open Security Controls Assessment Language. Okay. I'll have to validate to see if I have that right. Um, a lot of acronyms running around up here. Sure, sure. Um, but what this will enable to do, the, the implementation of this will enable agencies and cloud service providers to automate their packages. Um, you know, SSPs are upwards of 800 pages. 800-page uh, Word document gets very uh, unwieldy. And so um, being able to automate the package handling, the doing validations of the package prior to, uh, to it coming to an assessor in the government, um, huge, huge valuable things, not just for the agencies, but for the cloud service providers as well. You know, all all in service of creating velocity, all in service of uh, creating better quality packages. In, in addition, uh, FedRAMP also uh, published a threat scoring methodology uh, for controls against the MITRE ATT&CK framework. And where this is important is, is the scoring methodology takes the control, scores them against the MITRE ATT&CK framework on how well, how well they detect, protect, and respond to incidents. And so what we've been able to do with the REV5, uh, the NIST 853 REV5 controls, is NIST published their baselines. And typically, the Joint Authorization Board adds controls on top of the published baselines um, to, make, uh, to make the baselines more, the NIST baselines more applicable to cloud. And so what we've done uh, in our draft REV5 baselines is taken that threat threat-based methodology against those additional controls that are typically added uh, to see how well they, you know, how well they actually do their job in, in uh, supporting cybersecurity. And, and what we've done in, in our draft baselines, we've actually been able to reduce the number of controls in the, in the FedRAMP high and moderate baselines, um, which translates into a significant you know, value for not just the cloud service providers, but for the agencies as well. Uh, all of our modernization efforts, even, even looking at the, what I call the back end, the flip side of the coin, our internal business processes. Um, we're working on business processes that are, that are 10 years old. And, uh, and so we have the opportunity to use uh, 
automation to reevaluate our business processes to make sure that we're being more transparent so cloud service providers can understand where their package is in the process mm-hmm. um, to, for under, for agencies to understand um, where things are, how things are going, et cetera, and so forth. Again, it's all in service of helping the agencies and the cloud service providers get married up and have those secure cloud services uh, available. And undoubtedly reduce cycle time, which is awesome. That sounds fantastic. Chris, how about at uh, Quest? Uh, can you give us a specific example of a program you'd like to highlight? Yeah, first, um, shout out to Brian for reducing the number of controls that we have to respond to in our yeah, like the they, they, they're, they're draft baselines, Chris. <laughs> oh, you, know you have to start somewhere, sir. You start somewhere. Uh, so when we look at our agency partners, um, they're our favorites. Um, anyway, anyone that's in service or out of service. So those in active duty, for instance, as well as our veterans. So a lot of the programs we've worked on, and Brian, I appreciate your comments around, around legacy 10-year-old processes, because we work with agencies that have 20, sometimes 30-year-old processes. Mm-hmm. And they came to us, and they're trying to modernize. But at the same time, you're modernizing. You want to pull off that trick of helping an end user see that, hey, nothing's really changed. We've changed everything under the surface, but for you, nothing's really changed. To do that, that means they the processes they've been using, whether it's identification, um, authentication, those things kind of have to remain the same. So we worked with um, DOD partners, for instance, to one, bring in that legacy infrastructure that they've built on usually Microsoft technologies, for instance, but then helping them spread that technology across the cloud, whether it is Microsoft-based, Azure-based, for instance, or AWS, um, and helping them one integrate those identity principles across multiple control planes, or we call it multi-cloud, or as Mike called it, C2E. For them, that is critical because when you have someone on the front line, or even someone who's come back from the front line, for instance, that is a complexity they don't need, for instance. So making sure those identities work across those different control planes without having to give them multiple identities, for instance, is critical. I, as an end user, know for one, when I when I come in in the morning, I expect to be able to use every application with this persona. I don't want to have to, if you use an iPhone that required four faces to open, you'd break it against the wall. So helping them both in-service and out-of-service veterans, for instance, and active duty, for instance, be able to use applications in the same way they use have used them, I would say, for the last 20 years may sound trivial, but from an end-user satisfaction and mission deployability capability standpoint, that's critical to infrastructure. So working with identity across those planes for us is a critical mission. And that's not just in DOD, that's across the entire federal government. As Brian said, there's so many aging systems, but you have end-users that will still expect those systems to perform as advertised or have the same SLAs, and I think we provide a great set of solutions to help an agency one identify, to migrate, consolidate, and secure those identities across multiple control planes as we move to the cloud. Identity management is such an important part of the, uh, you know, the attack vector issue, and uh, an important and uh, instrumental element in the zero trust architecture as well. Michael, we're going to go up and talk about uh, priorities. And like to get you to highlight your priorities, two or three priorities for the uh, for this year in 2022. What are you all focused on right now? So I think uh, most of the federal government, as you're probably well aware, is uh, in the midst of <clears throat> uh, responding to and planning to implement much of the president's executive order on enhancing cybersecurity. And we're no different in that regard. There's a national mm-hmm. security memorandum that, that talks about how to enhance cybersecurity across the board. A portion of that national security memorandum talks about you know, migrations to cloud, but then there's other components, multi-factor authentication, uh, standardizing auditing and logging capabilities and, those re- and the retention requirements across the board, uh, zero 
zero trust obviously is a key tenant of, of the of that national security memorandum and the and the executive order securing software supply chain and, and, and the list goes on and on so the vast majority of our efforts are going to be focused on implementation of the, the precepts that are identified in that national security memorandum now beyond just that i will tell you that uh and it's been mentioned here i think a little bit in the past is as we move into this multi-cloud ecosystem what's important for us not only for a cybersecurity perspective but from an operations perspective is getting the telemetry off of the cloud service providers um, that is in the native format from those cloud service providers but being able to then uh, normalize that so that we have a standard single view of operational and performance issues as they're occurring in our multi-cloud ecosystem. And in the same vein, we're, we're pulling off of that cybersecurity relevant uh, information amongst those cloud service providers. So we want to be able to obviously understand performance characteristics as we have workloads running in one particular cloud service. What are the differences if we move that workload to a different cloud service provider? Uh, and then how do we, and, and this was something that Chris mentioned, right? Uh, how do we track security relevant uh, audit and log information, identity access, uh, identity credential management, uh, PKI certifications across various different cloud service providers so that we're seeing a comprehensive picture. We, uh, you know, fraud detection was one of the things that, that was, was mentioned, I think, by Chris, but equally important to us from a cybersecurity perspective is understanding how identity and access and, and, and application and data access controls in one cloud service provider are accurately reflected in the other cloud service providers. So if you're making an application cloud data access decision in one cloud service provider, are, is the same individual or the same entity trying to make other access calls in other cloud service providers? And, and should that be normal as based on the application and how it's architected and where its data flows are, or should that be flagged as abnormal? Um, those are the types of things that I think we need to spend more time on over the course of this year, which we'll be doing uh, to gain better insights into a comprehensive cybersecurity view across all the cloud service providers as they're operating in real time. You really raised some good points there. You know, hijacking identity in these cloud, uh, these collateral systems is where the fun starts, right? And where, uh, where, uh, where uh, we had some of our, our biggest exposures uh, based on that methodology. John, how about at Palo Alto Networks? Um, top focus for you all this year. I mean, I think our, our primary focus in terms of how we're helping customers is to, to go back to that principle that I talked about the, the, the last time I spoke about really taking the, the notion of security and moving it uh, left in that, that time horizon. Uh, you know, we see that they're really the best way to improve your security outcomes is to prevent problems from being created in the first place. I mean, that seems very obvious to everyone. Uh, and yet it's something that, that people have historically really struggled with because the tools, the ecosystem, not just the security tools, but the overall ecosystem around cloud Historically, you know, a lot of times people were, were really thinking of it just as a data center that happened to be in a different place. You know, they were still creating things manually. They were still manually managing those assets. But as you've seen the technology mature within the ecosystem and there being a greater level of, of adoption and, and knowledge of, of concepts like GitOps and you know, really trying to describe everything that you were deploying and using as some kind of code artifact, you really now have this awesome security opportunity to really improve your outcomes by being able to provide automation to go and check for those problems before those assets are ever deployed. 
So we have a whole set of technologies that help customers do that. But, you know, when I talk to, to agencies and, and even outside the federal space, risk across all customers, you know, people ask what's the most important thing they can do around cloud security. To, to me, the, the thing that's going to create the greatest outcome, the greatest positive outcome for you is to begin inspecting those assets, be them container images, be them serverless functions, or be them infrastructure as code templates as early in the life cycle as possible. When they're just sitting on a, on a GitLab server or a, a file share or wherever it may be, looking at those things, finding problems in them, taking action on them before those problems are ever created. Right, uh, again, as we open up this aperture of all these different types of capability, we certainly open up this attack surface as well. Ed, you talked about a lot of different things that, uh, that you all are focused on. What are your top priorities for, the, for this year, for, uh, for 2022 as you, uh, as you go on this cloud migration journey? Well, definitely a couple of things. You know, we've already talked a little bit about zero trust. So that's, mm -hmm. that's top of the top. Um, but we're also still focusing on automation, right? We've we've done a lot of automation presently, but we really want to get to standardized automation and getting some new tools in there and, and having one approach across our enterprise. And that's pretty that's pretty important to us. Um, and the other thing is uh, customer experience and customer experience from the perspective of you know we've got our CI/CD pipelines, we we you know those are standardized. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that that we saw this year with operations you know, uh, allies refuge and allies welcome, which was moving the people from Afghanistan that, you know, we were interacting, you know, with multiple agencies, whether it was Department of State, USCIS, US Army. Um, and this is one of those things about, you know, you don't really know how, it, how the other people perceive what you're, you're sharing with them, right? Or the tools that you're sharing with them. So customer experience became pretty important to us to make sure that not only can we deliver, you know, code that was doing what it was supposed to do, but also making sure that it was easy to use um, and, and a quick, you know, so that you have to go through a high learning curve. And that was pretty important to us. And it, it really paid dividends um, in terms of what we did with Operations Allies Welcome and Allies Refuge. Uh, tremendous focus and, a, and a, a brilliant response to that. So I applaud all the agencies involved in that. Nicholas, top priority for Snowflake this year? Uh, well, you know, it, Looking at this year, it's it's going back to some of the foundation of what Snowflake became popular for. Um, one of the few platforms, in fact, the only data platform today that runs across clouds. And that's important because the goal I have for this year is to get more agencies to talk to each other and collaborate on data uh, using the Snowflake platform. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, Dr. Uh, Dr. Mace just talked about how he would collaborate with USCIS and with the US Army. How can we really do that unless we have a shared platform or a shared experience or a, a well-designed enterprise that enables that kind of collaboration? If you hear our CEO talk or you go to our website, you'll hear about the data cloud over and over and over again. And what the data cloud really is, is the next level, the next evolution of the Snowflake platform that allows folks to, to collaborate and, and trade data sets uh, similar to how you might trade playing cards. Uh, data sets for Snowflake are like apps on your app store, but instead of Angry Birds, you're getting housing prices or uh, you know, the latest data set from NOAA on weather. Um, every government agency has a specific mission. That's what they were designed to do, and that's awesome. But no agency has a sole purpose. They all work together to accomplish what they're going to work together. Michael's agency works constantly with FBI or the Department of Homeland Security. These kinds of collaborations keep us safe, keep us healthy, keep us financially secure in this country. And so we have to, we have to keep pushing that collaboration and helping agencies work together stronger and better. Uh, that's my uh, top priority for this year is to introduce a data cloud for government 
uh, using the Snowflake platform. You raise a good point about every agency has a specific mission, no question about that, but they also have a uh, sort of striped across a, a user experience, which is what I think Ed was bringing up there. Important to focus on that, uh, that user experience. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.